Hello and welcome to the latest DAC Beechcroft's Lawcast. My name is Rod Richards, Head of Business Development for the Claim Solutions Group at DAC Beechcroft. In this episode, Elka de Mariassi, an associate in our complex injury team, is joined by Katie Walmsley and Ricky Palmer from our eight DAC Beechcroft Buildings in-house advocacy team. They discuss the symptoms and causes of fibromyalgia, what to look out for in cases such as this, and how these cases should be best managed. Hello all, my name is Katie Wormsley and I'm joined today by Ricky Palmer, who is a colleague of mine from 8DAC Beechcroft Buildings. We're an in-house set of chambers and we service DAC Beechcroft Claims Limited and DAC Beechcroft's cases across uh, personal injury departments, property departments and more. Um, Elka de Marisi has invited us kindly today to talk about chronic pain and fibromyalgia. Good morning both. Good morning. Uh, Before we uh, kick off, Ricky, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself? Of course, yeah. So I am a chartered legal executive advocate. Uh, I've been an advocate for about six years now. And uh, my practice includes uh, personal injury, property. Uh, I've done a little bit of employment, costs and fraud. Uh, So a wide practice. Uh, And again, I I service DAC Beechcroft's clients. based in the in the London office so that's that's my sort of um my my area great and how about you Katie what kind of stuff do you do just as an overview yes um well very similar work to Ricky actually so I'm a a barrister um and I cover all areas of personal injury um clinical negligence and and property and with a touch of employment so um general civil litigation really great well, thank you both for, for today, for, for joining me on this podcast. And so I'm a solicitor in our complex team in the Bristol office, um, and I deal with a, a wide variety of cases. Um, so, but over to you, Katie, do you want to, should we start off? Yes, if I can um, kick things off with um, the first question, which is um, to you, Elka, what, um, what is fibromyalgia? So fibromyalgia is a long-term condition and it causes pain all over the body. So as well as widespread pain, people with fibromyalgia may also have um, increased sensitivity to pain, so extreme tiredness, so fatigue, muscle stiffness, difficulty sleeping, problems with mental processes, which is also known as fibrofog. So problems with memory and concentration can be in the mix, um, headaches, irritable bowel syndrome, um, so a digestive condition that causes stomach pain and bloating. So those are the typical things that one might see with fibromyalgia. So Elka, what is the difference, if there, if there is any, um, between fibromyalgia and other chronic pain conditions? So chronic primary pain is typically defined as pain that persists for more than three months um, and fibromyalgia is considered a chronic pain condition um, and it causes widespread muscle pain and tenderness. So with chronic pain syndrome, there's usually an identifiable trigger such as arthritis or an injury. Fibromyalgia, on the other hand, often arises without a cause. So the exact cause of fibromyalgia is unknown. Some think it may be related to abnormal levels of certain chemicals in the brain and changes in the way that the central nervous system processes pain messages carried around the 
the body. So it's not an injury itself um, to the area of the body that's experiencing the pain. It's an amplification rather than an actual injury in the area of body. Um, Genetics can be a factor. In many cases, it can be triggered by a physically or emotionally stressful event, such as an infection or an injury, even giving birth, having an operation, breakdown of a relationship, death of a loved one. So those things can all be um, triggers for fibromyalgia. And studies show that the prevalence in the general population is between 0.5 and 5%. So it's not that uncommon. And anyone can develop fibromyalgia, but studies show that it affects around seven times as many women as men. And it typically develops between the ages of 30 to 50 years of age. Um, It's something that affects quality of life and patients can expect exacerbations and remissions over time. And, And how is fibromyalgia diagnosed then? So diagnosing fibromyalgia can be really difficult. Um, There's no specific test to to diagnose the condition. Um, Symptoms of fibromyalgia can vary and are similar to lots of other other conditions. So it tends to be ruled out um, by, so other conditions would have to be ruled out first. So for fibromyalgia to be diagnosed, certain criteria usually have to be met. Um, The most widely used criteria for diagnosis are you have severe pain in around three to six different areas of your body, or you have milder pain in seven or more areas of the body, your symptoms have stayed at a similar level for at least three months, and no other reason for your symptoms has been found. And so is there is there any treatment available for fibromyalgia? Yeah, treatment for fibromyalgia tries to ease some of your symptoms and improve quality of life, but there's currently no cure for it. Um, So fibromyalgia has numerous symptoms, meaning that no single treatment will work for all of them. So treatments that work for some people will not necessarily work for others. And the key is for people to try a variety of different treatments and find the best one or combination of treatments that will work for them to ease and manage the symptoms. So someone with fibromyalgia may need to try a variety of treatments. um, And it's normally a combination of education around the condition so they understand it. Um, medication, lifestyle changes such as maintaining good sleep, healthy diet, movement and activity, so exercise, are really important and have found to be of significant benefit. Um, The NICE guidelines published in April 2021 issues guidance around managing chronic pain for people over age 16 years and the management options are so exercise programs and physical activity, uh, psychological therapy such as CBT, acupuncture and some medication. So let's talk about what to look out for in potential fibromyalgia cases and how to identify them. So Ricky, do you want to have a... Of course, yeah. So we're talking about potentially very significant claims, aren't we, based on the subjective reporting of symptoms. Uh, You know, there's no objective signs of fibromyalgia and often no physical proof. So proving that the index accident has caused the condition rather than other factors becomes a lot more challenging. Uh, And when you're looking at an individual who claims to be suffering from fibromyalgia, you want to be looking at their pre-accident medical history because that could be crucial in understanding why they have symptoms. As for valuing and litigating these types of claims, well, because the prognosis is uncertain and can depend on the outcome of the litigation itself, again, it can be difficult when setting reserves, which then brings with it its own consequences when litigating, uh, because sometimes it's hard to predict what sort of case it's going to turn into. Uh, A further complicating factor is, is looking out for those cases which could be fraudulent. So 
Katie, what, what are the challenges with suspected fraud cases? Well, yes, um, fraud cases can can be difficult and it can be difficult to identify if you actually have a fraud case on your hands. Um, you have to ask, well, you know, when is a claimant being dishonest and when they're not being dishonest? Uh, and that was a, a question for, for the court in Smith and Ashwell Maintenance Limited, where the court said that exaggeration does not necessarily amount to fundamental dishonesty, uh, where outright faking would. Um, so faking of, of symptoms or of pain, um, that would clearly be fundamental dishonesty. But again, the exaggerating your symptoms uh, would not. And I think that's quite significant uh, in and of itself. Uh, whilst you may not get a finding of fundamental dishonesty, exaggeration isn't um, isn't wholly useless to a defendant because, of course, um, you can still drive down claims um, quite substantially and that can be a huge success in itself. So don't be too quick to write off cases um, if you don't have fundamental dishonesty, but you may have um, exaggeration. But of course, um, what's really important when looking at potentially fraudulent cases or even exaggeration cases is surveillance. And that, that's key, really. Um, again, it won't always lead to a, a finding of fundamental dishonesty, but more, the more surveillance you can obtain, um, the better picture you can, you can paint of, of the effect on the claimant's life. There was a case in 2019, Oda Wally and of Tower Hamlets, where the claimant was involved in a tripping accident, which then led to her complaining of fibromyalgia. The defendant managed to obtain video examination by the claimant's own expert, which showed that the claimant in an entirely different light compared to the surveillance captured early in the day to suggest that the claimant had good days and bad days, which was the argument before the court, was completely lost and the court made a finding of fundamental dishonesty. So really, when we're talking about fraud cases, surveillance is key and the amount of surveillance um, can make a real difference in terms of how you argue the claim and whether or not you're successful in getting um, that finding. So once fibromyalgia has been identified, uh, let's talk about how those cases can be managed. Ricky, do you want to take this? Yeah, of course. So the starting point is is medical records. Um, they are crucial because they will often provide the basis for challenging causation and can break a claim totally. Looking through a claimant's medical records will give you a greater understanding of the reported disability and it will give you an insight into any personal circumstances that can often be significant in shaping how to handle the case and thereafter setting a strategy. So when looking at records, you want to be looking at the mechanism of the injury, including the severity, what was complained of, when symptoms began showing, etc. You want to be looking at any identifiable pathology relating to the symptoms any previous accidents or complaints, particularly in respect of similar sites of pain. That's an important one because if, the, if those entries do exist, it can raise doubts as to whether the accident was the actual cause of the pain. You want to be looking at, out for inconsistencies in the reporting of symptoms uh, and complaints relating to other sensitivities, such as sensitivity to light or loud noises, because that may indicate that pain is really coming from the brain as opposed to the actual site of pain. So early access to records is, again, key. And in order to get them, you may consider offering a compromise. So maybe offering to provide treatment or offering a voluntary interim payment in return for forms of authority from the claimant. Uh, you also want to seek DWP and occupational health records. They may also have entries which are uh, relevant. 
Uh, surveillance, which Katie's already touched on, again, is crucial in defeating a claim because it will give you the opportunity to secure objective evidence of subjective symptoms. And of course, it's going to assist in fraud cases. Now, without surveillance, and if the records, the medical records don't assist, the court's going to have very little option to assume that the claimant is a genuine individual, unless there is, of course, any other compelling evidence. So don't don't be slow to dismiss surveillance evidence. Um, again, with surveillance evidence, you, you are going to see good and bad days. So you want to be getting perhaps three to four consecutive days of footage over a given period of time. Uh, and finally, always check social media. I've certainly had cases where posts and pictures have contradicted the claimant's whole case uh, and their reporting of symptoms. Uh, and there's little cost associated with obtaining um, s- social media posts and, and, and undertaking those sorts of checks. So uh, you never know what you may find. So it's all, always worth doing. Yeah. And if I can just add to that, Ricky, um, certainly um, uh, I would I would also say that uh, social media is is just essential, really, um, in, in trying to find out what the claimant's um, been up to. Um, one, one can also ask part 18 questions, which I've had some success on when, when based on the social media um, information that we have. So really, I think that that's another key tip um, in looking at whether there's any um, fraud or, or, or indeed exaggeration. Definitely, yeah. So, so now you've got records and surveillance. Elka, how, how do you go about creating a case on causation? Well, fibromyalgia, so it's controversial amongst the medical community, and there's bound to be a range of opinion on diagnosis, causation and prognosis as well. Um, So the less likely uh, the court is going to find a causal connection between the accident and the diagnosis of fibromyalgia, one wants to be looking at the following things. So the cause of the injury and comparing that to the time that the symptoms relating to fibromyalgia began to show. Also looking at the diagnosis and on what basis the clinicians or medical experts have diagnosed fibromyalgia, looking at whether um, symptoms had an idiopathic or coincidental manifestation, also looking at any itrogenic effect, so the perception of pain as a result of a medical examination or treatment, or litigation effects on the perception of pain, because they can at the very least be contributing factors. Um, Looking also at any predispositions or vulnerabilities, this is often a key argument uh, for the defendants. Um, So has the claimant had a number of different regional pain conditions before, like irritable bowel, headaches, chronic fatigue, complaints of pain elsewhere, were there other infections? There can be misdiagnosis. So is this early rheumatic arthritis? Is it lupus, autoimmune disease, osteoarthritis, for example? So, and there could also be an overlap even between COVID-19 and pain conditions. So musculoskeletal pain is one of the things that is cropping up in quite a lot of patients after having developed a COVID infection. But it's not just COVID. Other infections can also be associated with people experiencing muscle and joint pain for quite a while after, as well as a other, other range of symptoms that look very similar to fibromyalgia. Um, looking also at acceleration or exacerbation, looking at prognosis. So is the claimant likely to make a recovery? If so, to what extent? Are there any external factors that could prevent the claimant from making a good recovery? So, you know, things like um, any barriers at home, social problems, things like that. If so, what are they and what is their relationship, if any, to the accident? 
Also looking at treatment modalities and the extent to which they may have helped or hindered the claimant. Are they following the best practice? Are they following the NICE guidelines set in April 2021? And also comparing the level of disability against what has been claimed for by way of special damages. So those are all the the issues that I would be looking at. Yeah, and then in terms of the court's approach on causation, the overarching principle is that the claimant must prove a causal link between the accident and the injury. And if pain has its origin in a physical injury caused by the accident, then generally speaking, the court is likely to find that the claimant is entitled to to damages. Uh, But I'll just give a a couple of examples of the court's approach on causation. So in, in Cunningham and Sainsbury's, which is a 2015 case, the claimant suffered a left shin injury, but also had pre-existing uh, left knee complaints. And the court could not establish in that case that there was a clear, unbroken, temporal and physiological connection between the chronic regional pain syndrome and the accident. Um, as for um, the flip side, there was a case in 2016, Murphy and the Ministry of Defence. In, in that case, the claimant suffered upper back pain. Uh, which spread to the hips and the court observed that the mechanism of causation had not been explained by medical science but the judge was critical of the defendant's experts for taking what he saw as a frame by frame approach rather than looking at the pattern Uh, and as a result the, the court found that the claimant had established a clear temporal association when looking in the round. In terms of acceleration and pre-accident vulnerabilities, there the, was case of Mel Vicini, which addresses the issue of pre-accident vulnerability. In that case, the claimant suffered a modest injury, uh, but soon complained of widespread pain and was diagnosed with fibromyalgia. And the defendant ran the argument that if such minor trauma could cause chronic pain, similar symptoms would have arisen in any event. Uh, And in that case, the claimant's neurologist did express the view that there was a 10% chance that this may have occurred at some time in the future in any event. So the defendant's argument was was actually rejected at at trial as the judge found that it was highly improbable that but for the accident, the claimant would have suffered as he did. But he did take account of that 10% opinion that the claimant's neurologist expressed uh, and deducted 10% across all heads of damage due to the possibility that she would have developed the condition in any event. So that case serves as a reminder that the court will be willing to cap or consider a pain condition as an accelerated injury, but only if examination of the claimant's past bears that out. Uh, And the final case that I'll touch upon is is Ruffle and Lofat, and that's a case where an acceleration-type argument defeated the claim for the pain disorder um, because upon review of the pre-accident medical records, it became clear that the claimant suffered all the same symptoms to an extent Uh, and the key message from that case is that correlation does not imply causation. So let's say causation is established, how do we go about valuing fibromyalgia cases, Katie? Yes, so the starting point um, for any valuation, of course, is the Judicial College guidelines. Chronic pain um, comes under Chapter 8, and if you look to Chapter 8, there is a real range in terms of um, the award for pain, suffering, and loss of immunity. At the bottom uh, of the chapter, you're, you're looking at around £20,000. Right at the top of that chapter, you're looking more towards £80,000. But of course, um, fibromyalgia claims themselves can go uh, bring in a awards of much, much more. And that's that's largely due to the fact of special damages as well. And special damages will depend on the extent of the condition and the impact, of course, on the claimant's life and their losses. Um, future losses being generally um, the higher 
uh, part of the award. Um, and what we want to avoid as defendants at all costs, of course, is, is lifetime multipliers. Uh, so where the, the claimant's injuries are, are permanent and they've got lifetime uh, loss of earnings, lifetime care um, and, and further adaptations and that sort of thing. So it's really important um, when looking at valuation um, from a defendant point of view to thrash out, um, as I think Ricky and Elka have both touched on, is pre-existing conditions, any arguments that we might have for acceleration, exacerbation, or any other vulnerabilities um, that might help us in, in driving down the, the value of the claim. Um, four examples uh, of cases that I'd like to um, touch upon, which I think illustrate the point in, and the range really of, of how these claims are, are valued. Um, so the, all these cases are on Lawtel. Um, the first one being McDonald and Surya Hotels Limited. This was a 2017 uh, case where the claimant got four million uh, pounds in settlement for um, suffering both uh, chronic regional pain syndrome and fibromyalgia, which developed after a sprained ankle. So that's, I'd say, right at the top of um, where the awards um, come in, in these sorts of cases. And of course, what we have there is effectively two pain conditions. So where you have multiple conditions, um, of course, awards are going to be higher. And then we've got the case of uh, large and Norfolk County Council, and that's a 2012 case. Um, so the claimant was awarded 2.3 million um, pounds, and this was a fibromyalgia only case. It was a 34 year old female. Um, she'd had two accidents at work she, in her job uh, as a carer, um, and after both those accidents, she developed back pain, um, and as a result, required 24 our care and assistance. Um, she had to have adapted accommodation. Um, whilst her, her symptoms were said to be manageable, um, it was found that she would she would never recover um, from, from the fibromyalgia. So um, indeed, that case did involve uh, lifetime loss multipliers. Um, so the 2.3 million pounds there is explained by that. Then we've got a case of uh, Ellen Baker and Caroline Sumner, and this is a 2010 case. And this really shows you the, the flip side of that with damages were um, a lot less. So the total damages in this case uh, was 102,247 pounds in total. Um, this was a 54-year-old female. Uh, she'd developed uh, fibromyalgia after a whiplash, I think a rear-end shunt. Um, but what was a how we were able to drive down the damages in, in this particular case was that the claimant had a vulnerability to the development of fibromyalgia. That argument was successfully uh, made, and, and of course, the damages um, w weren't as high as uh, other cases that we, we know of. So, that's a good example there. A similar example is in Maguire and Carillion Services, uh, another 2017 case where it was found there was a, a six year acceleration. Uh, period of the, the fibromyalgia and the claimant on that basis was awarded a total of damages of £133,601. So again, there's a real range in terms of the value of these claims and it really depends on uh, what arguments are available to the defendant. Um, again, the way we find out what, what arguments 
are available, of course, is what Ricky said about uh, medical records uh, and what we've already touched upon about surveillance, social media, and really um, getting all your ducks in a row at the, the outset of any case, um, that's going to help you with those sorts of uh, arguments. Um, so I'd like to now talk about um, the top tips, if you like, for managing uh, these types of claims. Um, my two top tips to, to start off would be firstly to get liability out of the way as soon as possible, obviously only where appropriate, um, and be aware of incubated cases building up in the background. So if you suspect that a claim is uh, wrongly being kept in the portal, uh, you may want to apply to the court to get it transferred to parts seven. Now, there are some telltale signs of incubated cases. So um, is there an absence of medical evidence? Is, is there an absence of the claimant solicitors doing anything to sort of get the case moving? Um, should they have already sought updated medical evidence but haven't? Um, those sort of things are generally the telltale signs of incubated cases and they are they are ones to, to watch out for because of course um, defendants can be ambushed by the, the fact of, of cases snowballing in terms of their value. What might be a, a, a whiplash claim is suddenly uh, a two million pound claim. Um, so, Ricky, do you have any top tips? Yeah, so a couple of my top tips are, first of all, setting realistic reserves. So don't take an op optimistic approach when valuing general damages uh, and consider what special damages are being claimed. Be, be aware that reserves are likely to change throughout the course of the litigation. So be prepared um, to, to make those amendments to your reserves where necessary. Uh, and put together strategies that can help you attack a claim more tactfully. So knowing your opponent's strategies, they are well-recognised strategies and can be very effective when you begin to see patterns emerge with certain firms. There's no reason why they can't be developed for fibromyalgia claims. So um, if you see certain barristers and experts that you come across for these sorts of claims on a uh, routine basis, um, start to make a strategy uh, to find out what what, what patterns uh, emerge. Yeah, certainly. And I think, so my top tips would be engage in rehabilitation or other appropriate forms of treatment. Um, try and get that early, early doors. Um, and also to make early and well-judged and proportionate cost-protective offers. So that's easier said than done because you don't want to be overcompensating a claimant if there's little to support a diagnosis of fibromyalgia. But investigation of these cases is likely to be expensive. So early and realistic offers should be made to not only seek early resolution of the genuine cases, but also in the alternative, so to provide adequate cost protection in cases where there is a causation issue or the chronic pain element is manufactured. So those would be my couple of top tips. So I, th I think I'd just like to, to finish that off with saying, well, depending on your view of the case, um, again, um, I stress the point, and I think we've all stressed the point, obtain surveillance um, and choose your experts um, and do this as early as possible. Um, you can request that the claimant is examined by your expert at a video examination. Um, that might be uh, good evidence of how uh, the claimant is presenting, uh, particularly when compared with other surveillance evidence, which might not show that the same thing necessarily. Getting your own expert could prove to be vital as there, there may be alternative diagnosis proffered or it could be that the starting point in managing the claim 
downwards because there, there's some other organic cause of the pain that the claimant's expert just hasn't picked up on or didn't think was relevant. So it's always a good idea to um, get fresh eyes on, on medical evidence and, and get your own expert, um, you know, in appropriate cases, uh, but do so as, as early as possible, really. Um, so you, you know what you're facing. Can I just add to that one other point that I was going to say was uh, with experts. So who you instruct is crucial. So you need to know that your expert can really deal with all the issues in that particular case. And also uh, that it's worthwhile having an early conference with your experts once they've examined the claimant so that um, you ensure that all the aspects are covered off by both the experts. There's no good one expert saying, um, you know, it, it's it's sort of down to the other expert and the other expert saying, well, it's down to the other one. <laughs> um, you need to have a consistency between your experts. And, and often I think uh, conferences can assist um, greatly to find, um, you know, to get to the nub of certain issues um, and also often you get some consensus of opinion after those conferences have taken place, which can be very helpful. Absolutely. And I, I just add um, just a further point to that. Also, it's worth looking at um, whether the claimants expert, uh, are they qualified to deal with all aspects yeah. of this case? I've had many examples um, of cases that I've dealt with where um, the experts simply didn't have um, within their skill set um, any experience of um, fibromyalgia. And, yeah. and that's a point that as a defendant we, we took uh, and, and rightly so. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you very much, all of you. I think that probably concludes our chat this morning. Um, and I hope that people find this really helpful. Yes. Thanks, Alka, for, for inviting us. Well, thank you for thanks, participating. Alka. Thank you. Thank you.